Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, 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 diddly D. Hello, kitty. It's me, Dr. Fuck from Miami, Florida, and with me from New Orleans is... Oh, yeah! That guy. That's right, that guy. Hi, how you doing, Ian? I'm pretty damn good tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing just snappy. Nice. Nappy. I have very sad news, and I know you know this. So I want to kick off the show with uh, somebody that I really, really looked up to a lot in the 80s. And I thought he was fucking hilarious. Was Bobby the Brain Heenan? Yes. Oh my God, did I love that guy? That guy was so. Remember on the USA Network, he had a show, the Bobby the Brain Heenan show was a talk show. Yeah, it didn't last very long, but it was (laughs) was awesome. (laughs) I love it. Bobby said he hates two types of music: country and western. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, he he was absolutely amazing, and you know it's so sad that you know. Uh, you know, cancer robbed him of that classic voice, you know, in the last, you know, part of his life and stuff. And, uh, you know, he just had a, such a legendary voice and presence. And, uh, yeah, it was very sad to see that. Harry Dean Stanton passed away as well. Yes. Well, yeah. Uh, I believe it's the 75th member of the new Twin Peaks that died. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like yeah. everybody on that last Twin Peaks is like dead and they're right. still airing the episodes. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that guy, that guy's classic too. He was a oh, yeah. bunch of shit. The Godfather. Oh yeah, Alien, Repo Man. I mean, shit. Paris, Texas. He's been in so many uh, amazing movies. But I mean, fucking ninety-one, dude. You know, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. You can't bitch about that. That's a good life. Yeah, I remember seeing that too. Because every time uh, I'd finish a Twin Peaks episode, I'd run to YouTube to watch these two nerdy guys talk about it. So I can yeah. understand it a little better. And right. they brought that up. You know, they brought up one of the episodes how he's 91. I was like, holy shit, dude. That guy's old as fuck. So, yeah, and still smoked like every day of his life. And fuck, you know, you know, because he made that comment in, in the in the uh, show. You know, it's like I've smoked like a, like a pack and a half a day for 75 years, you know. <laughs> and, and, but he was like that in real life and drank and just enjoyed life and, you know, just loved acting and stuff. So, so that guy was gifted with a great life. You know, he, yeah. you know, he was spared. Yeah, you know? and him, him and Bobby the Brain, those were two like, oh, man. Yeah, Bobby the Brain hit me really hard, though, man, because yeah. I just love him. But, you know, man, I didn't even mention it on Facebook because I kinda, I'm kind of tired of it already. I, I mentioned, uh, who was it that died a few weeks ago? I did put it up. Oh, damn it. Now I can't Maybe remember. The guy from Molly Hatchet? Yes, him, him. Yeah. You know, I said, oh, man, because, you know, everybody's gone except one guy. Yeah. From, no, when, from the original when I, lineup. Yeah, when I saw him, he was the only original member, and I always made a joke it was him and one of the original roadies. Yeah. But, you know, it was it was still a good show. It was Molly Hatchet, man, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, at one time, they didn't even have him. They had no original members. Right, right, yeah, yeah. He, he left for a few years and came back. And the uh, guy that 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 owns Molly Hatchet uh, turned. Uh, I believe his first album was Beating the Odds, which was the third album. And yeah. then and then he was part of the Danny Joe Brown band. Right. Which is a great album, by the way. It's 
Danny Joe Brown and the Danny Joe Brown Band. I show you that. That's the name yeah. of the album. And there's a song on there called Edge of Sundown that fucking rules. Y'all should punch that up. It's great. Go ahead, pause and listen to that song. It's so fucking epic. Guitar army shit. Well, I love Molly Hatchet. I got to see Molly Hatchet back in the day. Original Molly Hatchet. Opened for Bob Seger at the Miami Baseball Stadium. Oh, nice. Yeah, and, and I also saw Molly Hatchet like in the late 80s in a little club, which was uh, pretty much every member. I think it was the original lineup, too. I got I to gotta look up on that. But Danny Joe Brown came back in the band. And I never got to see him with Ferrer or whatever that guy's name, which I love beating the odds. That's a great album. I, I, I've never seen Seeger. How was he? Oh, Seeger was great. That yeah. was awesome. That was against the, against the Wind Tour. Oh, man. Yeah, with wow. the, the strut. Yeah, I love that song. Oh, her strut? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not on Against the Wind, is it? Isn't it? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, you're right. It is on Against yeah, the Wind. Yeah, it's on there. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Great song, though. Yeah. Oh, Betty Lou's getting out tonight. Fire Lake. Oh, my God. Fire Lake's one of my favorites. Yeah, it was a good, good fucking it was Miami baseball stadium. Because back then, uh, they used to have quite a few shows at the Miami baseball stadium. I saw Journey with Aerosmith, and opening the whole show was Sammy Hagar. And even back then, I was like, oh, cool, Sammy Hagar from Montrose. And I was like, oh, my God. I remember, dude, even back then, I thought he was terrible. I was like, well, that sucked. He did, yeah. like, all I remember about his set was doing a whole lot of love, and it was so lame. Uh-huh. And, yeah, and then from there on, I was like, eh, only like Montrose. But, even, you know, and I was telling Ian earlier, I think it's 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 either your fault or, you know, the, that freaking dude that I, I, I can't even listen to Montrose anymore. Thanks, guys. I used to like that album. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, so... Uh, Rest in peace, Bobby Enon, Dave Holbrook, and uh, what's his name again from Twin Peaks? Uh, uh, Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. What a bu- yeah. what a bummer, man. Three great yes. people. And um, I also want to uh, send another one out. I was I was totally sad about the death of uh, Walter Becker too. Oh yeah, from Steely it, Dan. Yeah, yeah huge, huge fan of his. And uh, I own Asia. And uh, what what used to be a real highlight in, in the show is when it, whenever they play Hey Nineteen. He would go into this like rap in the middle, and it, it would always be different and nonsensical. But it usually revolve around sex and drugs. <laughs> you know, and it was always entertaining. Like, what's he gonna say tonight about sex and drugs? And you know, in the crowd what, and stuff. Was it him? Because I saw. I don't know if it was him or another member of Steely Dan that actually said that he's going out on tour because he can't make money anymore because of downloading. Was it him? Uh, I'm not familiar with that quote, so I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. either it's either him or Donald Fagan. But yeah, uh, it was Donald Fagan. Donald Fagan actually said that it was like maybe two, three months ago. I read a story on the guy saying I have to go on the road because I can't I I can't earn a living with download with with uh, royalties anymore. Yeah, and I, I was curious if, if this was going to mean uh, the end of Steely Dan because you know once they got back together, they did quite well touring. Because they never even did that in their heyday. They were they were a studio band because they were such perfectionists. They really quit touring after their third album, and kind of broke up what was the original Steely Dan band. And then it was just like Walter Baker, uh, uh, Walter Becker, Donald Fagan, and a bunch of studio musicians. But then in the uh, early '90s, they got back together, started touring, and uh, I was like, "Oh, is this going to be the end?" But Donald Fagan has said he goes, "No, he goes. I want to keep uh, the music alive." 
that we, you know, created. So I'm going to keep going out there with the band. And, you know, Donald Fagan, Fagan is the vocals, so it's not going to change vocally, but I, I think there'll still be a great presence, uh, you know, that fans are going to miss, you know, so that was sad to hear. All right. So uh, we got news. Yeah, we got some news. Uh, <laughs> some you won't care about, but I find it very funny. Of course. Uh, uh, oh, my God. Sully Erna says Godsmack may lose some fans with a more commercial sound on their next album. How can these fuckers get any more commercial than they already are? Oh, my God. If that is not a fifth generation grunge band, I don't know what the fuck is. Uh, yeah, you, terrible. You, yeah, okay, just just checking. Yeah, that you know, that is, you know, I saw Godsmack once, open for um, Rob Zombie in Las Vegas. I think I might have saw him too. I don't know if it was like at an Ozfest or some shit. Mm-hmm. I think it was an Ozfest. Oh, how how bland, how how horrible early to late nineties, early two thousands radio was. Oh, especially in metal. Oh. Uh, it's, it's, it's even worse now, right? You know, we don't have contemporary rock sh- stations anymore down here. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, well, I mean, I know in Orlando, I think JRR is still going, but I don't know what they play. And it's funny, I heard a station here in New Orleans, and I think it might not even be based in New Orleans, but out of New Orleans, but you can pick it up here. They were a contemporary rock station, and I was doing a side job one day, and the guy turned on the station... But they weren't playing anything new. It was like the same shit that you heard in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was the Godsmack and all that shit, you know? There was nothing new. It was just like, well, I mean, ugh. I mean, that's why we do radio shows, because terrestrial radio sucks. Yeah, well, there. I got to say, there is a cool station down here called The Beach, where, dude, they mix it up like 70s. You'll hear, like, Black Sabbath and Casey and the Sunshine Band, and... Uh, you know, they, they mix up, like, disco songs with rock songs. and Oh, uh, oh, oh so they're ripping off the Wadzilla Rock Show. Okay, yeah. Or Wadzilla World. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, they probably got caught wind of that shit. And, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean but uh, the only time I listen to radio is when I, uh, you know, when I, I'm uh, driving around in my city truck. Because in my, in my car, I have an iPod shuffle. Yeah. And uh, even that's out of date now, I understand. But well, e- even when I would drive my uh, my work vehicle, which I don't do all the time, but I would grab out of my car. I got this thing I plug into the cigarette lighter and I could play my phone through it. So I either play, you know, I've got like fucking twelve hundred albums on my phone or I would play, you know, uh, satellite radio. I've got Sirius, you know, I've got Slacker, you know, I've got all kinds of different shit. I ain't listening to fucking terrestrial radio. Fuck that shit. That shit's dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been dead for decades, if you ask me, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I, haven't, I... I haven't really been into radio since I was a kid. You know, it wasn't until oh, yeah. like, I got, like, a cassette player in my car and then a CD player. That's when I got, uh, you know, high class. When I had, Remember when you get a CD player in a car, how high class you were? Oh, shit. I had an Alpine pullout CD player. Uh, oh, my God. I, I, I had it decked out with an EQ and a fucking changer and everything oh my god Man, i remember when i was a little kid dude i shit you not there was a guy that lived on my block he had a turntable in his car it was like dude how the fuck can you drive around with that with bumps in the road and shit yeah but, but sure enough he did I've, I've heard of people doing it it's kind of weird but and i remember having an a-track in my 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 old man's uh van had an a-track player and i nice. used to bring my a-tracks in the car and listen to that you know 
But, you know, but, you know, this was really like radio kind of like died like around, you know, the 80s. It was the 70s where it was just so special. We had a station yeah. down here that still exists called Y100. That was my station. Now it's all fucking, you know, well, you know when, when Jay-Z they, and shit. When, when, they, when they took all the control away from the DJs and put it in program directors' hands, that's that's what killed it. Yeah, back in you the Piola days, it, it fucking ruled. Yeah, well, I mean, there's still pay now. Now it's payola worse than ever. You know, it's like the DJ has no power. This is what you're gonna play. You know, you basically have no input. If you have any input, it's whatever personality you put into it. But you sure as fuck ain't picking the music because that's what I wanted to do originally. Like, you know, when getting out of high school, and there's a there's a school for it in uh, in Orlando, full sale, which is like you know. You can go there and be like a record producer or DJ and shit like that. It's all that kind of shit. But uh, a buddy of mine went to it because he wanted to get into record producing. And once I found out like the re the reality, you know, that, that this is the era of program directors that give you a list. You're going to play this song five times a day, you know, and, you know, you're not going to play this song. I was like, well... Where's the freedom of being a cool DJ? You know, there, you know, there is no Johnny Fever anymore. You know, except for us on our own shows, we have that freedom and that kind of input. But not if you want to, you know, do it for a for a, you know a real radio station. Yeah, it's just pointless now. I mean, and I even hear radio stations like like the ones I listen to when I'm driving around the city vehicle. It's like um, their commercials are all like iHeartRadio, you know, get the app and put in your favorite artist and you get that favorite artist radio station. Well, uh, it's like, even they're selling themselves out, you know? Oh, well, they started doing that thing. Uh, I don't know. If, I'm sure you've heard a station that was a Jack FM station. Have you heard that? No. Oh, it's totally pre-programmed. Like 100%. Like you can't even call and request. And they just have a robot voice. You're listening to Jack FM. Oh, cool. <laughs> They take the whole human element out of it, so. But there's nothing better than my iPod Shuffle, dude. Nothing. I mean, and, and I have, I have, I own three iPods, cause dude, iPods die, and you can't buy them anymore. And the last one that's working properly is the one in my car, which I'm sure it's gonna die. Dude, I have that one programmed so good that I actually selected my favorite songs from albums into that iPod. I don't have full albums in there, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, if I'm gonna put on a. Let me see, like, a, let me, a good example would be, like, Technical Ecstasy is yeah. in my is in my iPod, except for She's Gone and ne Never Say Die, except for Breakout. You know, <laughs> and it's like, anytime I put my shuffle on, every fucking song that comes on is a song I like, you know? I mean, sure, there's sometimes I'm like, oh, this is a good song, but I'm not in the mood for it. Let's see what's next. And, man, if, if I click two songs, that's, that's too much. Usually right. I click the next one, it's like, all right, here we go, right. you know? So, uh, nothing like an iPod Shuffle. That is the best shit. So, and if you want to listen to my iPod Shuffle, the Dr. Fuck Show is pretty yes. much my iPod Shuffle. Minus yes. minus the ABBA and the Classic Rock. <laughs> and if you want to hear everything, check out Wadzilla World. Only on Sound4Radio.com. There you go. Uh, Saturdays at 11 a.m. Uh, I, I, uh, thir I thoroughly yeah, enjoyed your episode. The one time I heard it. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was really fun. Yeah. I, I, I got to say, though, I got to admit, I have. Now, uh, you know, uh, Scott Green had this theory of the, the summertime. Uh, all ratings go down because people are out doing shit, you know, and they're not sitting around listening to stuff. 
Uh, I got I gotta say I know I've lost some listeners, but uh, but I've also gained some, and uh, the people who listen find it uh, very entertaining. But yeah, there are some people I know who are disappointed that it's not all like a hundred percent metal. Well, my, my I'm telling you, dude, my show always my show always starts off slow. It's been this way pretty much forever. It right. starts off slow till late at night when the Europeans come in and shit. Right. And, and a lot of people, a lot of people from here, a lot of our podcast listeners show up like after 10, you know, and by the time Kevin's Corner's on, it's packed, always packed. So I I don't know. It's I don't notice nothing with the summertime. But then right. again, Scott Green would never admit that. <laughs> he doesn't like me very much. <laughs> well, well, you're well, you're always welcome over at Sound4Radio.com. Yeah, that's true. Heard that, Scott? 100% freedom. Start lathering my ass. Well, I know I'll lose listeners, too, if I have my way, man. I'll be worse than you. I'll be throwing out some ABBA, Barry Manilow. No, I, hey, man, I've got, I got a request the other week for Tom Jones, and I fucking played it. <laughs> What's up, pussycat? Whoa. I'll play Elvis. It'll be fucking insane. I'll I, I tell you what, man. I love it, and it's so easy uh, to program my show now because I have so much more to fucking choose from. You know, right. it, it, instead of instead of just this and, you know, granted, you, you know a lot, you know, like I, I know a lot about metal and I love metal, uh, always be my favorite genre, but you're into even more than I am. So you had even more of an eclectic yeah, and, I have, and have I have, to choose from. Yeah, I have so much to choose from. Yeah, I mean. and, then, and then there's just some, there's a lot of stuff that I don't like, you know, right. and, and, and now I've just got like all this stuff and the requests I get are so weird and I love that but I have a lot of this shit because I have 17 fucking thousand albums on, on my fucking hard drive so I a lot of it I do but still I get stuff people send me shit I was like oh fuck that I don't have but uh, but no I just enjoy it man and I, I love going from one thing and, and that's uh, you know the feedback I got I was like wow this is a crazy show you're jumping from this genre to that genre but that's what I loved about radio back no, then. And, and that's, that's why I enjoyed. I, that's what I enjoyed about your show. I, I really did enjoy hearing a different type of music, you know, uh, well, playing here and there. You know. Yeah. Well, well, well. Come to the the all new uh, the all new Vieira show over at Soundforeradio.com. Yeah, the Vieira Vault. Yeah, you, you you even get your own time slot. You get your same time slot. Yeah, man. If I didn't have such a crazy schedule, I'd run two shows. I would. Okay. Hear that, Scott? But I can't, dudes, and uh, and I'm happy where I'm at. I, I, I don't complain. I don't feel, like, you know, restricted, to tell you the truth. I really don't. I mean, Scott never gave me shit ever. You know, right. So, and, but then again, you know, I don't go way off base. I mean, sometimes I'll throw in the, cl- the cheap trick and shit like that, but it's very, you know, I don't, I pretty much, my, my shit's metal all the time, and, and I love metal, so and it's, yeah. and all the different bands I play, you know, it's like I play. A, I I own a lot of obscure shit. Like, you ever heard of Eric Steele? You know, I mean, I've uh, heard of it, but I've never uh, heard. Eric Steele. There's uh, and Bugalard and all this fucking really rarely, you know, Shock Paris shit. I fucking adore, and right. I I love playing. You know, and then I'll throw in your Aussies and your Sabbaths and you know right. your Priest and Maiden. I don't think I go a show without those bands, right. but. You know, I mean, but there's a lot of shit in between, and and I love when you know the best feeling is when you somebody's like, man, this is great, you know. So, oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, I love I love turning people on to a lot of shit, you know. So, 
There you go. Check out our shows. They're awesome. All like, right. Well, like this one. well, here's something I was turned on to that, that I was surprised. I was fully waiting for this to suck. And I know you fucking hate it already. Uh, but I did watch the new video for Prophets of Rage, Hail to the Chief. And uh, I actually dug it. I actually uh, well, it. I'll check it out. I'll give everything a chance, even though I hate that fucking. Oh yeah, that. no, yeah, yeah, no. I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't think. You, the only reason I say that I don't think you'll like it is, is you hated Rage, yeah. uh, on, on all areas. You know, you never said, "Ooh, I like the music, but I don't like the message." You just hated everything about it. To me, it sounds very much uh, Rage, but I really love Chuck D's lyrics on the song. I thought were really good. It's him on. 90% of it, that dude from Cypress Hill comes in and does a little bit here. But it's more of like, you know, Chuck D with, with Rage. So if you already don't like their type of music, yeah, I don't think yeah. you're going to like it. And, and and I wasn't sure. I was like, uh, you know, what is this? But, uh, you know, be honest, I I thought it was it was pretty good. So Well, uh, I got I got to tell you, and I might have said this on, this, on, on a past uh, podcast, uh, that why is it that every commie band sucks, you know? But believe it or not, I found a commie band that was actually really good. And they and they treated us like complete shit. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but they played with us in Colombia and they're called Gilman. And the guy's a Chet loving scumbag. And you got to hear the shit the guy pulled on us. I had the whole <clears throat> I had the whole band on uh, on my podcast and we talked about it. Dude, that guy even talked about us on stage. I mean, no, he's a complete prima donna cock-sucking, commie-loving prick. But holy fuck, they were great. And I was really mad that they were great. I was like, dude, this band is really good. And they're Chet-loving scumbags. But, uh... So there you go. I found one commie band I like. I mean, they sing in Spanish. But, uh, they're called Gilman. And, uh... They were good. So, there you go. I found... and You know, and, and which shows you, you know, how I stand and, you know... Dude, not only is this guy a commie, but he treated us like shit, and I still like the music. So, you know, everybody out there thinks I hate Rage just because of the message. No, that, guy, that Tom Morello never did anything to me, you know, so there you go. Musically, they were fucking metal, really killer traditional metal, you know, so. But I'll never play them on my show just out of respect to my father and my family. Well, there you go. You got to stand by your convictions. Exactly. All right, well, another band you can't stand. Now, this one I... Man, what is this? Dude, why do you always have news about bands I hate? Hey, dude, it's fucking Blabbermouth. Every other story is Corey Taylor. You you get all anal when I bring up Striper. (laughs) No, I just laugh at it the same way you laugh and poke fun at the shit you don't like. But, uh, hey, hey. I'm not laughing. It's Slim Pickens in the fucking, uh, on Blabbermouth lately. Hmm. But, uh... Here's one, uh, the new Marilyn Manson song, which I, or album, which I got from, I uh, saw it. I actually saw it. I saw that fucking video with the guns and shit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the it. video. I like the video. Oh, you didn't like the song? Um, uh, the first time I heard it, I was like, uh, this really isn't doing it for me. It didn't do anything. To me, and it sounded I, like the old Marilyn Manson industrial shit. Uh, to, to me, it's kind of too much new school that's like i always want him and i like a you know like 95 percent of his shit i i really do love 
But every time he puts out a new album, but bands do this all the time. Whatever their biggest album is, oh, people say it reminds them of that. To me, it sounds nothing like uh, the Antichrist shit. But I did like the song better the second time I heard it, but that could have been because I thoroughly enjoyed the video. Um, and I listened to another song called Kill For Me. Barry, you know, that's him doing his mechanical animals Bowie thing. It was all right, but it's not what I was hoping for. I really think he needs to get, uh, you know, like back with Reznor and, and, and something or, or, or a higher caliber producer or somebody that he respects that's going to be a no man instead of a yes man. Because some of this stuff, and I enjoyed his last album, but the two songs I heard of this, my first impression was, well, this sounds like something that got left off that album, you, you know, uh, you know, just something not as good. But uh, I, I still need to listen to it, and uh, I hope it's good because I'm a Manson fan. So. And, and how contrived is it that you know now that he has an album coming out, he brings up this war with him and Justin Bieber? It's like so contrived, so fucking planned. That I did not see. Oh yeah, Justin Bieber came out and said, "I love this too. I, I made you relevant again." And oh, then, good uh, Lord. why was he wearing a T-shirt or something? I don't know what what he did to make him relevant again. And then Manson's been, you know, bashing him back and forth. But there's actually a picture they showed of them both hanging out. I guess you know from a couple years ago. And uh, but now it's like you know, there's this big war going on. It's like oh look, he's pulling a Scott Weiland, which I still stand by, even though the guy died, the junkie and everything. I still stand by. Boy, wasn't it a coincidental? Every time he had an album coming out, he's getting busted. You know. <laughs> All right, well, here's a story that makes me sad. Uh, Phil Rudd has just had to cancel a new tour, and uh, it seems under dubious circumstances. Something about uh, one of the main band members coming down with a virus, and uh, and then I think there's probably some other logistical problems that might be you know, due to passports when you get in trouble for attempted murder and drugs and shit. But uh, I was watching this video of him playing with his solo band. And, of course, the singers know Bon Scott, man. But I'm just watching it. And I'm watching this legend play the drums and still play them fucking awesome. Oh, my God, did he sound so good. I'm just like, God damn it, this motherfucker should be in ACDC right now. Working on the new album with Axl Rose, man. Because... To me, you know, when it comes to drummers, there's Bon Scott and then fuck everyone else. I mean, not Bon Scott, uh, Phil Rudd, fuck everybody else, you know. Simon Wright, one of the most bland drummers I've ever heard in my fucking life. Chris Slade, whatever, you know. I don't know, who the fuck's drumming for him now? I think it's Chris Slade again. Yeah, huh? Chris Slade, yeah. You know, but goddamn, it's Phil Rudd. Just like, please, man, get your shit back together and Angus, you know forgive them and you know get at, at least let there be two of you in the fucking band an ac and a fucking dc you know <laughs> uh but i'm excited for a new album with axel rose you know oh is it uh, happening uh supposedly uh uh I, I saw something say that they're gonna be doing something in the fall recording a new album with axel oh rose. my god yeah that's unbelievably great news yeah, but man, wouldn't it be so much better if Phil Rudd was playing drums? Sure, sure. But, you know, I mean, I mean, I never was a fan of that guy because I hate Razor's Edge. It's, to me, it's the worst ACDC album. But, hey, man, he held his own. He didn't really annoy me. I thought he was good. 
Oh, no, it's good. I, I saw him with Chris Slade, you know, and it's good, but God damn it, Phil Rudd is like a fucking, you know, like a, a Marky Ramon, you know, or, 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 you know, or Tommy Ramon for that matter. Let me tell you something about Phil Rudd. About a bunch of my uh, closed-minded metalhead death metal fans, whenever they would talk about a bad drummer, they would reference Phil Rudd. What? It, well, let me finish. And I would say to them, do yourself a favor. Go put on the movie Let There Be Rock and watch the song Let There Be Rock. I don't give a fuck your Phil Sandoval's, your Richard Christie's, your Alex Marquez. Yes, I'll even throw him in the mix. If any of them attempt to do what Phil Rudd does on Let There Be Rock, that song, their arms would fall off because he is pounding the drums for eight minutes straight. Yeah, it's the same beat, but he's hitting it with conviction, hard. What Phil Rudd does, and you can you can also say Simon Wright as much as you hate the guy, and Chris Slade, you know, they, to beat on the drum for that long, that one beat, and hit it hard, nobody hit it harder than Phil Rudd. Yeah, and to um, hit it accurate, too. Yeah. Dude, let me tell you something. What Phil Rudd does is not easy. You have to be a badass motherfucker to do shit like that, so... Yeah, yeah, there's people that, I mean, I don't really hear it that much anymore, but people would always say, Phil Rudd, Phil Rudd. It's like, yeah, because they're, he's not doing blast beats or double bass and all that shit. But what he does is very extremely difficult and physically taxing. You know what I mean? Right. All right, now let's get into the review. This is uh, the 1986 album from Tony Iommi's solo album that was pressured by record companies to call it a Black Sabbath album featuring Tony Iommi. Right? Yeah. Correct. You are correct, sir. And, uh, yeah, you know, the first time I've heard this song, I've heard this album, I uh, really, like, uh, I'll talk about the song later, but it was a song I heard on the m -m 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 Metal Shop, and it really, like, I liked the song so much, I was like, oh, I need to buy this album. So I soon bought that album, and I bought that album before MTV aired, the video for No Stranger to Love. So, um, and I'll talk about both those songs when we get to it. But, um, yeah, I really love this album. Now, I gotta say, like, up to that point, it is not as good as every Black Sabbath that came out before it. And I can only name two Black Sabbath albums that came out after it that I like more. But I really dig this album. I just thought, uh, you know, it does sound like a Tony Iommi solo album. With the exception of once, I think one song on this album sounds like a Black Sabbath song. Uh, but um, I really love it. I, I love this album. I go back to it uh, from time to time. I bought the deluxe version with the live bonus live CD with Ray Gillen. Um, and, uh, you know, it's an album that you know, I'll listen to a couple times a year. It's like I don't always go to it, but there are times I'm like, oh. Because Black Sabbath is one of those bands that no matter what mood I'm in, I can play, but there's some albums, yeah, you know, there's some of those Tony Martin albums, which I love, are not go-to albums. They're just, I have to be in the mood for it. And this is one of them. I have to be in the mood for it, but um, it's not like a, a Volume 4 or a Born Again where I can just slap it on no matter how I feel. But it's a good album to revisit after not hearing for a while. That's how, that's how I am. There's a lot of albums I have that I don't hear it for a while, and then when I think about it, I'm like, oh man, I haven't heard that in a while. Let me put it on. And Seven Star is definitely one of them. 
Uh, and yeah, I've owned it since uh, it first came on. It was a brand new album. I think I bought it, may have been uh, the first week. I know I, Metal Shop was infamous of playing songs before the album came out. And I'm pretty sure that one song that they played was aired before the album came out. So I'm sure I was like, ooh, I can't wait to get this album. And I'm sure I got it the first week because back in, especially during those years, I was at the fucking, I was at a record store every fucking week looking for new arrivals. And yeah, nine times out of 10, new arrivals every week was, there was a metal album in those new arrivals. So I'm pretty sure I bought this album the first week it came out. If not, definitely the first month. So yeah, and we'll get into song by song, but uh, let Ian talk about how he first heard it. I found this about, probably about a year after it came out, and it was one of those, if you remember in the late 80s and early 90s, you'd always have these mark-off cassettes that you'd get at a gas station or a fucking truck stop, and they'd have the hole punched in them. You know, because yeah, you, you've told this story before, but you know, Florida's not like that, man. But then again, you know, we don't fuck really? our sisters. Uh, really? Well, I don't have a sister, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe I would have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it, basically, it, it cutout bins. I mean, they were cutout bins, shit that nobody bought, and and you know, nobody bought this shit. Um. You know, around the time this came out, you know, I, it was all about like you know, Kiss and. Ozzy and you know Dio and Cinderella shit like that uh, Black Sabbath was more of like my dad's shit you know because my dad had the records but I really didn't listen to his shit that much back then because he had the Sabbath records but he didn't play Sabbath around the house all the time like he did you know like the, the Stones and shit like that um, what is our age difference again Ian? Uh, what year were you born? 65 65, 9. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, when this album came out, I was 12. Well, I was about ready to turn 12. This came out in January. Yeah, I was like 11 and a half when this came out. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I was listening to, like, Ultimate Sin and shit like that was doing a lot more than what, you know, this was. But then, you know, with each month, I was getting heavier and heavier, you know, with my taste. And I started listening to my dad's Sabbath records, you know, and particularly Volume 4. And fell in love with it. I was like, oh, man, I got to get this one. And, uh, you know, because at first when I was into Ozzy and Dio, I was like, oh, these guys were in that Black Sabbath band. Oh, I got to check that out. But I'm like, who's singing on this? And when I first heard it, I was like, wow. Now I know why this shit was three ninety nine at the fucking, you know, at the quickie mark. You know, it just, uh, you know, granted, I get that supposedly it was, you know, supposed to be a solo album, but, you know, some of this shit I don't know how much to believe because you, you read conflicting, you know, statements on everything. I've heard Black's, uh, Born Again was not supposed to be Black Sabbath, and then there's people involved with it who said, no, from the very beginning, it was Black Sabbath. Well, then, no, in this case, it wasn't, because I remember reading in magazines that Tony Iommi was working on a solo album. Okay, with, so with you, Glenn Hughes, so I it definitely... Okay, so you read ahead of time that this was yes, going to be yes, a solo so album. I, I okay. did read this, and uh, maybe Kerrang. Right. Well, that that definitely, you know, puts a different light on it, and but it, it's so hard, 
because when you grab it, it says Black Sabbath. And this is just not Black Sabbath to me. Now, some of it I do enjoy, but, uh, you, you know, after Born Again, there's nothing I think that deserves the name, you know, Black Sabbath. And to be quite honestly, I would be totally fine with the Dio era and uh, Born Again being called something else. Yeah, I, was you, about, you, I was about to say that. I go, it's not you, Black you know, Sabbath without the original four. It's a different-sounding right. band. Right, you know? but to, to, to me, it still has... I don't know, it has... Well, it has elements, but it's still yeah, not Black it, Sabbath. It, it, Black it has, Sabbath is an organic creature that was not meant right. to be perfect. It was... That's what makes Black Sabbath so special. That's what makes them my favorite band. That's what makes a lot of right. Well, you know, a I lot mean, of bands I I prefer the more organic sound. Even though I liked the Dio stuff, I loved the, the the early Dickinson stuff. It was still not as organic as the original. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, and and that's our opinions. But you got some fans that accept. You know, if it says it on the cover. That, you know, just no different than a Scab Kiss fan or, you know. Oh, no, no. Or, Trust me. If I was in your shoes, I would be saying, oh, this is a Black Sabbath album. They, you know, it was labeled a Black Sabbath album. You know what I mean? Right, I right. Mean, I, you weren't knowledgeable at that time to see what was going on behind the scenes. Right, right. You know, and, and you know, same thing with uh, with Deep Purple. You know, you got you got some people that refuse to listen to anything without Ian Gillen. Oh, it's not Deep Purple, even though he wasn't the original singer. So, I mean, I mean, it's what... It's all your personal taste and everything, but I think at least with the first two replacement singers, it, they had star power and still had the heaviness of the band. But uh, you know, yeah, it would have been great if they would have changed it. But uh, but this one is just pushing it so so far, and uh, and and I, I I say the same thing with Tony Martin. I I think that stuff's. That stuff's just as much of an abomination to call it Black Sabbath as this album. Well, I don't see that much of a difference. I mean, quality, the Dio stuff is better, but musically, it sounds very much like Dio Sabbath. Yeah, well, I, I, I disagree. That not to not to my ears, right. you know. Okay. To, to to my ears, uh, th from this album on, it turns into some kind of like weird European like power metal keyboardy shit and you know i i hate to say this because the man just passed away and by all accounts he was a super great dude and i got nothing personal against him but i think one of the worst things that ever happened to black sabbath was jeff nichols and this is the first time they actually acknowledged him and put him in in a fucking right band photo shoot right and and, and like, like i'm saying uh, i'm not saying anything about the dude personally but i think the addition of, of, of the keyboards and the smoother type vocalist to Black Sabbath because Ozzy's just got that fucking amazing Ozzy voice, that grit. And even Dio, while, you know, he can sing like a fucking angel, there's there's a gruffness to Dio's voice as well. And then and the same thing with Gillen. But once you get to, like, Glenn Hughes and Tony Martin and all the other fucking uh, clowns that they fucking almost hired in between... It, it's really, it's like, it's a totally different type of singer that I don't want to hear with Tony Iommi's guitar. You know, or, or especially if you want to call it Black Sabbath. I, I just, I'm not into that, like, it, it all sounds like bad Halloween to me. You know, I don't know, just very, very European, 
like almost power metal kind of shit, you know. And I, I don't know what the power is uh, to repel women, uh, you, you know, to to, to 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 roll a six-sided die. I, I don't know what the power in power metal is, but man, g- give me a fucking. I'd take an Ozzy any day over, you know, a, a Tony Martin sounding voice, which is technically you would say technically a better voice but to me it's just so generic and and it's too too perfect i like that grit that you know that personality you know you can compare some of tony martin's vocals to dio's but dio's just got much more balls and chutzpah than fucking you know than tony martin to me but in this album we're talking about glenn hughes and Glenn Hughes does have an amazing voice, but I think it's so, like, out of place on this fucking record. And, uh, but, I mean, I mean, look, look at the turbulence, you know, in between this. You know, you had the end of the Born Again tour, and, you know, then the original gets back together, then that falls apart, then there's, you know, the Ron Keel, the, the Dave Dianto, or whatever the fuck his name was, uh, the wow. Jeff... Fe- Fahrenheit or hype guy and and all this shit that is so like unsabbath and uh, boy I I don't know it's one of those things like people who stick by all this shit and they love it hey I get it man I love Tony Iommi too I and I can find something on every Black Sabbath album like ooh Tony sounds good there that that's a nice Tony riff but as, as far as saying oh this is a good Sabbath song. Nah, and I think the, the songwriting went way the fuck down. I mean, way down. There's no songs uh, post-fucking Born Again that are of the same quality. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's one. There might be a little bit of a riff here and there, but there's no songs that can match the greatness of uh, you know the, those first three versions, in my opinion. Well, I agree with you, but... Uh, as far as like albums, yeah, up to Born Again, I don't think any album was as great as Born Again after Born Again. But Jesus, there was some of those albums I really loved. The Humanizer had some great songs. And, well, and, well, see, I I, 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 I always take the Humanizer out of that equation because that's the anomaly where he comes back in. I'm talking about you know anything without Dio or Ozzy or well, or yeah, Gillen, well, you know. That's your opinion. Yeah, I thought you know Eternal Idols was extremely solid and better than this album, and, uh, and, and I would even say that, uh, and I know it's very unpopular. Uh, I would I would put fucking Eternal Idols over Dehumanizer. Ooh, I would. Wow. I think I think the problem with Dehumanizer, where I think it does have a problem, is that it it, it is a couple songs too many. Where every song, I mean. I, I don't know, maybe, I mean, you know, you, you're, you're more in tune with, uh, you know, right. lengths of CDs, but wasn't, right. wasn't Dehumanizer a long album? Uh, yes and no, I mean, because on the CD, yeah, there's the, the needless, you know, other version of Time Machine, and the songs are a little bit longer, but I think if there's anything that can be said bad about Dehumanizer, is there's too much that sounds the same. So it makes it sound longer than what it is, you know, because there's so much different light and shade on Heaven and Hell and uh, and Mob Rules, you know, where, like, everything's kind of one note on uh, 
dehumanize or in extent. I I still love it. I don't think it's aged as well as the first two did. But uh, but yeah, I, I think there's just too much, you know, yeah. a, a, a better producer and maybe, you know, throw in, you know, throw in that Children of the Sea. I, the, you know, the problem I see with the Humanizer 2, when you find out the backstory of it, it was an album that went on, what, like a year in writing and, oh, and yeah. then Dio left and Martin came back in then got Martin left and Dio. I think it was like way overthought, but... You know, still, I mean, for the most part, I think it's a, an amazing album, but I can do without Buried Alive, and and I know a lot of people love Master of Insanity. I, I never understood that song. The rest of it, yeah. Fu- oh yeah, and Time Machine, I wasn't too crazy about. The, the rest of it was fine, but you see, uh, Eternal Idols, for me, I, even though I, I do remember I did not like two songs off it uh, as much as the rest, but now I love those songs, like Born to Lose. I at one time didn't like that song much. And there's another one on there, I can't remember what it is. But I love those songs now. And I think that album does have a lot of shades, like from The Shining to Ancient Warrior right. to Glory Ride and Forever. Right. Um, you know, well, uh, Lost, I, I, Lost Forever. I mean, it's it's very different, it, but it has different shades like uh, Heaven and Hell did. Heaven and Hell, you had your Die Young and your Walk right. Away. And, I don't know, I, I, just, I just felt Eternal Idols was, is like to me, it, you know, calling it as it is, Black Sabbath, yeah. which I don't really agree. I think right. is the most underrated of all the Black Sabbath albums. You know, along with uh, Never Say Die, I would say. And Mob uh, Rules to an extent. I, I would definitely say uh, Eternal Idol is the one I've changed my opinion on the most. And uh, I definitely by light years I think it's the best fucking uh, Tony Martin I agree a lot album. of people think it's uh, Headless Cross I, I beg to differ now, now, now see Headless Cross when it came out I bought it right when it came out played the shit out of it but to me it, it hasn't aged as well but I, I think a big thing you know the problem with the Tony Martin era is there's just not that strong a presence and it, and, and, it, and it's hope it's goofy songwriting. I mean, it really is. It's it's goblins and ghouls, and you know, without the the nice sophistication you had from Geezer. You well, know, I Geezer... felt like Eternal Idols didn't have that goofiness, but I will no, give no, you. I will give you Headless Cross did. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, and and that's I think when I listen to Headless Cross now, I kind of laugh at it because it sounds like you know, is this a concept album about ghoulies? No, I, you know, I still love that part album. Two. I do love Headless. Uh, I think it's a great album, but but uh, it would be my second favorite of the Tony Martin era. But uh, I still don't think it's even half as good as Eternal, Eternal Idols. Actually, yeah. but if if I had to knock, you know, like another thing, uh, you know, with the Tony Martin era is too many keyboards, bad production. Uh, even though I, I do think Eternal Idols has better production than Seventh Star, I think Seventh Star. You know, everybody bitches about Born Again. I, I think Seventh Star is one of the worst sounding albums I've ever heard. Wow. As, wow. as far as production, like like the drums, oh my God. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the song. You guys yeah. are all cursed, man. I have this stupid fucking mentality of not noticing production, yeah. and it really doesn't taint albums for me. I mean, with the exception, there's always an exception to every yeah. rule. But I don't hear any bad production on this album. I really don't. 
But, I don't know. It just, it just sounds like a bad Miami Vice soundtrack, and the drums to me just sound so. I I hate uh, like especially when you get into the latter half of the '80s, the drum sounds were just horrible, horrible. Especially in you, you know hard rock, I think they were just very hollow sounding. Where they were so bombastic in in the '70s, you know, with your Bill Ward and your Ian Pace and your your John Bonham, you know. All that shit. It, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's very non-adventurous. I agree. And you know what? I would even say that about the Dio albums, even though I, I worship those albums. The drums are not adventurous. Even Heaven and Hell, which has Bill Ward. Well, I I, I, I don't think they're as adventurous like skill-wise, but I think the actual tone and the sound of them is warmer than what you get. You know, this sounds like something that was everybody bought on cassette. This sounds like music that's made to be put on a cassette. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's tinny, it's it's hollow sounding, it's very dry, uh, I mean, to my ears. But, uh, hey, fuck, we haven't even got into the song yet. Well, I would like to give a little short um, build-up, the story behind the, the making of this album, uh, which uh, is off the now, I don't know if you're aware of this, Ian, it's now out of print. The, the amazing right. book, Doom Let Loose. Oh, good thing I got it, because that's yeah. the best Black Sabbath oh, book I've ever seen. Oh, by far. And I got all this information from it, because I did a seven-star review, and I watched it before we were doing this review, and I took notes from what I said. And all my Black Sabbath reviews from back then were taken straight out of that book, with the exception of 13, and I guess Devil You Know wasn't out yet. It may have been. I don't know. But uh, after Born Again, Tony wanted uh, an unknown singer in Black Sabbath. So they first auditioned Ron Keel, and Ron told us why, in when we interviewed him, why that didn't work out. So if you want to know that story, check out our Ron Keel uh, interview. I was going to ask you because I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ron talked about it uh, very specifically, where they don't even me he, they don't mention Doom Let Loose. Well, actually, Ron Keel was a footnote in Doom Let Loose. But Ron Keel really told us all the behind the scenes, how he got the audition and how, in the end, they chose not to get him. They, they, he oh. talks about all of that, which I've never heard him talk about. That's exclusive shit on our podcast. Yeah, and I like to listen to that. that. That is one of our least listened to episodes. I need to go check that out. And, and believe me, I listened to that episode maybe a year or two after we aired it, and it's very informative because... You know, I know you're not a big fan, but man, that guy has a history and a half with some heavy hitters, you know? And, uh, right. but, you know, <clears throat> so, you know, um, then they got that guy, David Donato, and it looked like it worked out with him because they did a photo shoot with him. And in that yeah. photo shoot, Bill Ward was in that photo shoot, so he was right. once again back in the band. But that didn't work out, and then. Well, what what I what I heard with that guy is he started making all kinds of like unrealistic demands and started acting like he was a, like a huge superstar before they even started recording shit. So they said it was like all about that guy's attitude. I'd never heard his voice. I don't know what the guy sounded like. I believe there is a recording of David Donato with Black Sabbath. I believe there is on YouTube somewhere. I I vaguely remember hearing that, but I do you remember. No, I don't do you remember, remember if you liked it or not? Don't remember at all. I, I do kind of remember he had a good voice, kind of. But I don't okay. remember what song it was. I think it may have been something off of uh, Seven Star, actually. But maybe I'm wrong, because uh, it's been a while. So when that, that like 
fizzled out. Bill once again left, and Geezer left too. So Tony right. was going to do a solo album, which I explained. I mean, I read it in magazines. And he was thinking of three singers for that album. Dio, Halford, and Glenn Hughes. But because of managers and record companies, that didn't work out except for Glenn Hughes. You know, I guess his manager was for it. And as far as I know, I don't think he had like a record deal. I know he was in that band Phenomenon at the moment. Yeah. Uh, was this was that at the same time? It was around the same time, yes. Well, I mean, if it, if it was, I don't even think they had a big record contract. Yeah, right? that's it was why. easiest for Glenn Hughes because Glenn Hughes wasn't doing shit. No, and also he was on. Uh, I believe the year before he 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 sang on three songs on Gary Moore's Run for Cover and played all the bass on it. But again, that that record company, I'm sure, is, like didn't have a hold of him. It was just Gary. Right. Right. Know? And um, anyway, so uh, obviously they got him. And uh, but at the time, while recording this album, not only Glenn Hughes was all fucked up on drugs, but so was Tony Iommi. Oh and yeah, they were very like really heavily into drugs at the time. And uh, to cap off the lineup, they had Jeff Nichols and giving him credit too, and putting him in photo shoots. Dave Spitz and Eric Singer were added. And they were both in Lita Ford's band, which is odd to me because they didn't perform on either two of the Lita albums that were out by that time. Right, because I think that was like Randy Castillo. Yeah, uh, Randy Castillo was on the second album. The first album, it was like, you know, some guy. I don't know. Which I I like that album, by the way. I like both those albums. And Tony was engaged to Lita Ford at the time. So I guess that's probably how they both got in the band. And uh, that's it. Then they went, they recorded Tony Iommi's solo album. It was done, ready to release. And then that's when Warner Brothers says, uh-uh, we ain't releasing this under Tony Iommi. It's got to be called Black Sabbath. And in my opinion, uh, for, you know, for financial reasons, I can totally understand. Because this was 1985. Tony Iommi already looked like he wasn't a pretty boy. Right. And, and you're going to sell an album with just him. It's like... And, and and not only sell an album that's just him, but it's not a blues album. I mean, if it was, if the the whole album was like Heart Like a Steel and, you know, No Stranger Love, I can understand and release it as a Tony Iommi album. But if you're going to call it Black Sabbath, you know, you can't have some of these songs on there and expect uh, the record company to say, yeah, yeah, call it Tony Iommi. They figured if you call it Black Sabbath, it's a brand, you're going to have a yeah. better time. And which... In, in a way, they were right, you know, because Black Sabbath, it, it, the tour may have fizzled and died, but at least the tour happened. And it, right. and it, and it did uh, play many cities. I had tickets to see it here in Miami with Wasp and Anthrax, actually. And it was canceled because it was just a bad flop, you know. And yeah. by that time, Glenn Hughes was gone. One thing I wanted to ask you is, when this came out, was Black Sabbath still your favorite band? Well... Yeah, I mean, Black Sabbath has always been my favorite band, but it's always been the Aussie. No, by the time Dio and these people, like, you know, Glenn, uh, Ian Gillen and even this era and Tony Martin, I don't consider it Black Sabbath, so I couldn't say, you know, Heaven and Hell, the my favorite band of all time recorded Heaven and Hell. You know what I mean? Right. But Black Sabbath 70s has been a mainstay since... Right. I mean, in the beginning they weren't. I loved Black Sabbath as a little kid, but shit. Right. At one time, my favorite band of all time was ELO. You know, right? I mean, 
before I really fall, because you know, when I was a little kid, my main love was movies. You know, right. I mean, I, I worshipped Rocky, Slapshot, Star Wars. That was like my worship, Kentucky Fried Movie. Those were my favorite things as a kid. It wasn't until like, right before the new wave of British Heavy Metal, like, I'll tell you, like, the when I when I bought um, We Sold Our Souls for Rock and Roll, I think that's when it finally dawned on me. No, no, this band's better than ELO. You know, and then, you know, Van Halen was also one of my favorites, Jeep Trick. I mean, they all became, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Black Sabbath, I proclaimed my favorite band during those years when I, you know, when they became one of my favorites. Right. I couldn't pick a favorite. I'd say it was either, you know, it was Black Sabbath, Cheap Trick, and Van Halen. Those were t my tied for favorite bands. But then, you know, you have to make a choice. Right. Well, that well, that's like how I, I mean, from the minute I heard Tears Are Falling and, you know, became a legitimate Kiss fan, uh, you know, not just a kid who wanted the dolls or like that, you know, I was made for loving you song. That's when I heard Tears Are Falling, Kiss became my favorite band and was my favorite band over anybody until Psycho Circus. And then my number two band became my number one, and it's never changed since then. And now my number one is, is Van Halen, of course. Real Van Halen. But, uh, no, I was just curious, like, you know, because you were much more involved in the scene when this came out. I mean, was this an album anticipated when it, when it came out? Did people like, oh, what the fuck is this shit? Or did just collectively didn't care nobody talked about it what, what was the impact of this nobody cared i think i was the only one that cared actually this was definitely uh under the radar album i don't think it sold well did it uh no nobody was talking about this album i don't even no. remember the backlash either you but know? you know I'm, I'm just thinking you know i'm wondering about the tour like you know i mean obviously it didn't do good because there was cancellations but you know in 86 Wasp was very much a name band. Anthrax is starting to make a name for itself. So that almost kind of sounds like a like what Kiss had with Hot in the Shade, where they're taking out bands that are big, getting big and hungry, but yet it didn't work for Black Sabbath. No, uh, you and know, where Wasp, it worked for Kiss. Wasp was just not, I mean, as much notoriety they got and. You know, they didn't have platinum albums, you know. Gold albums don't, don't really mean much. You know, you're still in the Well, they, they, they do now, but not then. <laughs> really? What, what album's platinum from them? No, 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 no. No, I mean, gold albums didn't mean a lot back then. You know, it was all about a oh, platinum yeah, yeah. album. Now, any band would give, you know, their fucking firstborn for a gold album. You know, it, somebody back, buys. Uh, I forgot who it was. I heard an interview the other day from somebody that's saying, if you made a gold album, you owed your record company, like, half a million dollars on if you made a platinum album you you break even but you don't make no money you right. don't actually make money i forgot who it was that said this but he said you know he was friends with motley crew at the time and by the time like shot of the devil exploded and that went out what double platinum i'm talking about back then he said to them hey uh you know how much money did you guys make and they all 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 four of them was like Oh, we bought a car, you know? That's right. all they did. They only had money to buy a car. It, it's not till you hit two, three million is when you start seeing the money. I can't remember who the fuck said that, but I was listening to an interview the other day from somebody mentioning that. And uh, for the life of me, God, it's on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember who it was. And, uh, and Wasp was not one of those bands. Wasp 
look, to judge to judge a successful band is a band that would come to South Florida and headline a big venue. That's right. when you can judge a really successful band. Was never headlined a big venue in South Florida. I don't right, think they even headline big venues anywhere except for LA. You know. Right, but what what I'm getting at though is they they did have a bit of notoriety. I mean, I even remember back then they were on the cover of all the magazines. I mean, much like when I saw Kiss on the Hot in the Shade tour, Kiss would get a couple covers, but you were you were seeing a lot more with Mark Slaughter on the cover or but Kip still, Winger yeah, or Tammy Down. I understand that, but it's the same thing you can say about famous rap artists today. I mean, right. they can't fill an arena. You right. can get all the notoriety you want and all of uh, the covers on every magazine you want, but it doesn't necessarily equal getting seats in an arena. I mean, it, yeah, you can sell records, but right. you can't really headline, do a, a, an arena headline tour. You have to be, you have to sell millions. So basically you weren't jumping in any cars in 86 and somebody had this popped in the deck. Well, I, I don't remember jumping in a car and having anybody have a loss in their deck after the first album, huh? to tell you the truth. Oh, wow, okay. You know, by the time Last Command came out, everybody had, you know, Metallica in their car, or, you know. Or, right. You know, Wasp was very, it was kind of a jokey thing, too. I mean, I loved it, but to, like, most metalheads, and I'm talking about South Florida metalheads, I'm not talking about anywhere else. Right. I'm sure in L.A. they had much more respect, but down here it was kind of like, yeah, yeah whatever. I, you know, they see Wasp, you see... And another thing about that image that Wasp had, it, right. it, you know, you look back at it now and you're like, oh, that's the 80s. But believe it or not, even in the 80s, people saw that as ridiculous. I right. did, well, but, but people I, did. I, I mean, and, and that, like I said, could be because of my age. But I remember, you know, like I'm a, I was 11 or 12, you know, around that time. And uh, like even my fan, we all thought Wasp was like the coolest. Like, oh, man, look at this shit, you know, and the. They say cuss words, and maybe they just seem bigger to us than what they really were. But I know a lot of the junior high kids, you know, we, we, we thought Wasp was huge. Yeah, that, no, yeah, and it's very misleading. Looking back on it now, it's kind of like, you know, the reality of it was Wasp was not headlining arenas. Right. They just weren't. And when they did come to South Florida in the 80s, it was opening for Quiet Riot and opening for Kiss. And both shows weren't even sold right. out. You know? Well, they, they, they did headline in uh, Chicago. It was a club show, but it was like a big club. Uh, that was inside the Electric Circus, and they had, uh, I think it was, uh, I know it was Slayer, and I want to say either Metal Church or Trouble were the opening bands. But it was, uh, it was there, uh, it was Wasp, Inside the Electric Circus, Slayer on the Rain and Blood, and it was either Metal Church or Trouble. Well, yeah, once again, like I said, you know, I mean, that's yeah. still fucking, maybe big, but it's not a, it's not a fucking arena. It's a club. No right. No matter how you slice it, it's a club or maybe they, they did play a sporadic theaters here and there. Right. But in South Florida, they didn't have, you know, the way that the, the, the touring circuit works is like, it's all, it all comes down to the promoter. The promoter sees it. Oh, I can make a lot of money off that band. Let's bring them down there. There was no promoter in South Florida that saw money signs with Wasp. It just did, and and that's why it didn't really help the Black Sabbath tour. And right. and the, the whole you were talking about Slaughter and this and that with the Hot and Shade. As I recall, Hot in the Shade 
had a great buzz. The tour itself, because Kiss is coming back with a huge tour, and you know they're playing all these old songs, so it really brought a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people went to that show for Slaughter, and you know I'm sure people did, but for the most part, it was Kiss fan. I went to the Hot and Shoot tour. It was like well, everybody stuck around for Kiss. Well, know? yeah. Oh no, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. I saw it twice, but then again, you got to look at the age difference. You know, yeah, I was a I was a teenager going to see that, and a lot of the teenagers there, especially the girls that were there, you know, they were there to see fucking, you know, Kip Winger. They were there to see Mark Slaughter. They were there to see Faster Pussycat, the and, old, their, yeah. and the boy and the boyfriends wanted to see Kiss. And all the yeah. older metalheads that were single and fucking right. sluts like myself were right. out in the parking lot. I remember going to that <laughs> show. I didn't see Slaughter or Winger or whoever fucking opened that show. I right. did not even go in. I stayed outside. I said, fuck these bands. You know, because that, to me, to this day, I think it's fucking garbage. But, um, and I did end up seeing Slaughter many years later in a club because, you know, I was seeing this chick. <laughs> and, and it was exactly. okay. And it was not bad because uh, they did like a lot of cover songs that night. You know? <laughs> so I could deal with that. And by that time, uh, Mark Slaughter already lost his fucking stupid high-pitched voice. So... I could deal with that, you know, but, uh, all right, well, okay, you want to take track one? Yeah, okay, fuck, I forgot we were talking about an album here. All right, hold on, let me, uh, find the track listing here. Well, I'll tell you the track list, I got it in front of me. And people love when we get off topic. Yeah. Uh, First track is in for the kill. Yeah, hold, hold on, though, I right, want to I'll, I'll go into it while you look for it. Yeah, thank you. In for the kill... I fucking love it. Uh, Glenn Hughes said he hates this song. And I disagree. I think it's awesome. It doesn't sound like I only, and an Iomi type song, which goes, again, I he, he went into the sound with a mindset of, I don't want to do something that sounds like Black Sabbath. To me, this kind of sounds uh, like what modern metal bands were, you know, were doing. And, you know, and, and, that, and that's fine with me because... That modern metal band shit that was going on at that time was tickling my sphincter like like your mom does when I'm desperate enough to go see her. Hello. And uh, I think it's a great song. Uh, In For The Kill uh, was the second song I heard off the album because I talked about m -m 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 Metal Shop. They played another song. I was like, ooh, I want to hear this. And then I heard In For The Kill as well. So I remember I had them both on a compilation Metal Shop cassette. Because I, I believe they played one one week and in for the kill. So these the, you know, these two songs I heard for the first time, they were like good heavy tunes. I was like, oh, I need to get this album. So, and to this day, I think it's a really, really, really great song. It has aged wonderfully for me. I love in for the kill. I think it sucks. Um, to me, it sounds like fucking five different songs thrown together. Like nobody's playing the same fucking track. It, it just doesn't gel right, and, and especially with Glenn Hughes' voice. Like, I don't know what he's singing to. I don't know what the drummer's drumming to. And then here's Tony Iommi trying to not sound like Tony Iommi, uh, which, you know, I'm not cool. I definitely see him trying to be something he's not, and you know, why when you were the guy who invented it. I mean, I, I can see, like, at this time, you know, he's getting a little bit older. I mean, fuck, he's probably still, though, only in his late 30s. You know, he's probably younger than I, you know, I am now. Sure didn't look it, though. Yeah, well, he was starting, you know, he let the gray go on the side. Yeah, he was doing a lot of drugs, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's a, 
Let's not beat around the bush, man. The man man was a coke fiend. Yeah. He loved his cocaine. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Uh, uh, you know, the same with Glenn Hughes. It was all about the coke. You know, we're not talking puffing a little bit of weed here. We're talking about Scarface. Uh, you know, and Lita Ford will tell you the same thing. And then she said, you know, he'd get mad because his ding-dong didn't work because of the coke, and then he beat her ass. You know? <laughs> And, 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 and that happens, kids. That happens. That's, yeah. I have to say, that's a negative effect of cocaine. I used to work with a guy, and he, he's not listening to this show, so, and he's probably dead anyway. Chuck Ballstrom. True. You can't make that name up. And he always used to tell me, well, I was like 18, and he was like in his early 30s, and he'd go get coked up every weekend, and then he'd get in like a fight with whoever, whatever chick he took home because he couldn't fuck her because he had coke dick. But, well, that's, yeah. another, that's another good little, like, you know, what what the rock and metal combat podcast prides on is yeah. you know we have a lot of young listeners and we we should be role models to them and we should let them know look if you're young uh you know you won't be able to perform sexually if you do cocaine so don't do coke unless you don't have a girlfriend do a lot of coke if you don't have a girlfriend because it really does help the depression of not getting laid right right Ian? <laughs> yeah, and then in the third grade, uh, uh, oh, hold on, uh, shit, I'm out of coke. Um, well, you know, I, I'm just going to say, you know, do coke when your girlfriend's gone, and that way you won't have to worry about it, you know? That's yeah, what I'm saying. when she's over here. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, some people say that they get coke, they go all night long. Uh, uh not me. <laughs> Not me. I I get all Tony Iommi, except I don't want to beat a bitch, but I, I I just want to listen to more music. But anyway, let's go to the next song. Maybe that'll give me a boner. Oh wait a minute, no it won't. It's no stranger to love. Ouch. Holy shit! This 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 is like Van Hagar bad. This is there's only one thing that fucking uh, maybe I don't know if redeem is the right word, but. The only thing that makes this song somewhat tolerable is uh, the guitar solo from Tony Iommi. And even that isn't like, you know, grade A Iommi. It's like, you know, D plus Iommi. This song is absolutely horrible. Horrible. This could be one of the worst songs that that they ever recorded. I don't know. This is like fucking like, uh, like, Psycho Man bad. This is really, really uh, a, a bad, bad song. Really bad. Really bad choice for a single. Oh, especially for a single. See, at but the, right. but if, if if you go at the, the demographic they were looking at, you know, when everybody's putting out, you know, fucking Home Sweet Homes Part Ten Thousand and Five. Uh, you know, that was probably, they probably listened to the rest of this album and go, there is not one fucking radio song on here, but this is like our only fucking hope. And you know, this was, this was record company pressure. I mean, I can see Glenn Hughes wanting to do a ballad to show how, what a virtuoso he is. Cause that, that dude is pretty high on himself. I, I love Glenn Hughes to death. But I, I mean, he's got like an oh, Eddie truck ego. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. If I had his voice, I'd probably have that ego too. Right, but you know what? He always compares himself like uh, what? There's Stevie a quote Wonder. about. Yeah, but there's a quote where he compares, uh, like him singing Black Sabbath would be like 
James Brown singing Metallica. You know, it's like, all right, dude, I love you, Glenn Hughes, but you ain't fucking James Brown. You're not Stevie Wonder. You got a great voice. But I can see him wanting to do a, a song that more suits his style of, of, of singing. But, uh, you, you know, and maybe, once again, it's it's so hard to remove yourself from this being called Black Sabbath. You know, if you think about it, you know, in a solo album's term, yeah, I guess then you can do whatever. But this is a shit song, and a shit song is a shit song is a shit song. And, and, and with a shit video to go with it. Uh, you know, even the dog was mad in that fucking video. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think this is pure record company, like, just trying to do anything to recoup any kind of costs on this to buy more cocaine. Because already they made them change the name, and then they put this out as a single. Obviously, they weren't a music fan or a Black Sabbath fan, because this was a decision made by somebody who knew nothing about their job. Definitely clueless, without yes. a doubt. And, uh, and I'll tell you, if it wasn't for the metal shop, I probably wouldn't have bought this album when it was new if this was the first song I saw. Right. No Stranger to Love. Uh, but, in retrospect, oh. yeah, oh. as I got older, I really do appreciate this song a lot. No, really? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's one of the better tracks on the album. Still, I think it's kind of like in the lower, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's the worst song either. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. Let's keep going. But uh, before we keep going, um, I really do love this song because I feel like um, Glenn Hughes is like what shines for me. Not so much the solos. Yeah, um, I think his voice is amazing. Uh, but, you know, as a kid, or I was already 20 at this time, uh, 21 actually, uh, I really, I, I was too much into like in for the kill type music. To really give shit like this a chance. Like, I could accept this on, like, a Gary Moore album. You know, where Gary Moore was heavy, but he'd throw in a bluesy tune. I could accept right. it there because, you know, that's what Gary Moore is. Right. Black Sabbath was, when they did blues, it was like The Warning. Or, right. Or Wicked World, or, you know. Right. Like the first right. album. You know, the first album was right. full of bluesy shit, but it was bluesy with, you know, a grit, a heaviness, a darkness. This one is like a fucking love song, you know? And uh, the video didn't do it any favors either. You know, that's Tony Almi's dog where he actually took that dog to MTV for an interview, which you can see on YouTube during this era. Martha Quinn interviewed him with that Doberman. Uh, the blonde girl in the video is actually Bing Crosby's niece. I thought that's his daughter. No, Denise Crosby. Well, oh, ma niece, maybe so. I read it wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure. Because that's what I said in my review. So. Or no, I'm sorry, uh, granddaughter. Granddaughter, I believe it is. Could be. Could be, yeah, I don't know. <coughs> but either way, <coughs> uh, it's it's a nice song. I can definitely tolerate it now. Back then, it was like with the little ooh, ooh background thing. It was like, what the hell is this gospel bullshit? You know? But now, looking back in retrospect, as you know, you know, uh, by that time, the cocaine was totally out of my system. Uh, I really was, um, and the crack. I, I kind of like, uh, I appreciate the song for what it is. A Tony Iommi solo song with uh, Glenn Hughes. And i that's how I look at this album. I still look at it, but, you know, it's hard for me to look at any album that doesn't have Bill, Ozzy, Geezer, and Tony as Black Sabbath. Uh, much less this album, which is a, a drastic departure from 
any type of like Black Sabbath album before it. And uh, yeah, I dig it. I dig the song. But do, do you think, like honestly, like if uh, like all the Tony Martin shit like wasn't called Black Sabbath, would you like it? You think? Yes, except for you know most of Forbidden. But there's some Forbidden tracks I like. Yeah, dude. Believe it or not, I would. I I do like a lot of power metal stuff too. You know, I like yeah, some of that okay. European yeah. European flavored music. I I do appreciate it, but it's hard for me to look at it as Black Sabbath. Right. Okay. Well, hey, if you like it, you like it. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, I did look it up. Denise Crosby is Bing's granddaughter. Okay. There you go. And also, for all you nerds out there, that was Tasha Yar from Star Trek: The Next Generation. So there you go. Oh. All right, the next song. Now, by the way, uh, those people that do that, uh, uh, the Next Generation fans, I highly recommend Cocaine for you. Yes. Hey, I love both. You got, you got no, you got no reason for your dick to get hard. <laughs> Turn to stone. Oh boy, what a fucking filler turd this one is. Uh. Again, just sounds like I, I I don't know like like Tony playing with people he met five minutes ago, like no no chemistry, no fucking like good groove or rhythm. Just sounds like hey, let me try to sound like these kids next door. I, I don't know, man. This song reeks of filler. The best thing I can say is it's only three minutes and twenty eight seconds. Turn to stone does nothing for me. Uh, I think it's a cranking song, very modern of the time of the metal bands were doing with the up-tempo tunes back then. And, uh, yeah, I, I do admit it's kind of filler-ish, but I can hang. I, I, I like it. I do dig it. Uh, the next one is, uh, how do you pronounce the, the intro? Which is pointless. Uh, Sphinx. Sphinx of the Guardian or whatever? Yes, yeah, Sp Sphinx, like the Sphinx in, uh... Uh, you know, Egypt. Oh, yes. oh, oh, oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hashtag the Guardian. Yeah, it's it's basically a, another goddamn pointless Black Sabbath intro to a song that should just be one song. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's some Jeff Nichols gobbledygook. Going into Seven Star, and uh, this is the most Sabbath sounding song on it. Uh, in a clip I got from Night Flight, uh, Tony Iommi said. Uh, that this song is about all the planets lining up and bringing total destruction to the universe. But yeah. also a rebirth. Now, what the... Wait, wait. Destruction to the universe and a rebirth? You know this well, fucker was on some good drugs. Well, no. I mean, well, technically, I mean, like even, uh, you know, like a black hole. You, you know, when everything is destroyed, it creates a new... You know, you know when when a when a universe gets sucked into a black hole and then and then it creates a new universe. So it is kind of like a, a death and a rebirth. That does actually make sense. You see, I cannot connect with what you just said because I don't do blow. You and oh, okay. Tony are just cokeheads with this crazy philosophy. Yes, yes, Fucking sir. Wacky heads. I love this song. I think it's a great song. Very Sabbathy. I think this is where Tony said. Oh, come on, I gotta throw something Sabbathy on this album just to let, remind people I was in Black Sabbath, and uh, I think it's it's got a good mid-tempo groove, and uh, I think it's great. I think Glenn Hughes is like 
to me, shows me he could have been good on a Black Sabbath album. That's what I think. All righty. Well, you know, the Sphinx, uh, the Guardian. Uh, yeah, pointless fucking intro. Now, when you get to Seven Star. Now, this is what I'm fucking talking about. This is awesome. Uh, great riff. This is the only song on this album, I think, where, where even the keyboards don't annoy me. The keyboards actually kind of suit this one. And it sounds very, very, very Dio-esque era uh, Black Sabbath. You know, there's nothing really Ozzy Sabbath about this to me. But very much, you know, this, this like, you know, sign of the Southern Cross, you know, that kind of shit. But, oh, is this song welcomed? I mean, from the shit, you know, I've heard b before, now you get to this, like, okay, here's a little something-something. And uh, I think it's a great song, and you're absolutely right. If, if Glenn Hughes sang like this and, you know, doesn't... Because, Glenn, don't get me wrong, I love Glenn, but sometimes he can do that Mariah Carey shit where he's just, like, showing off how many octaves he can change. You know, this is one where he just sings for the song and, and just, man, knocks it out of the fucking park. If you you had fucking, what, there's nine songs, basically eight songs on this. If you had eight songs that sounded like this, I would love this fucking album. But unfortunately, this is the only one that sounds like this, but I do love it. Great title track. And uh, why don't we flip this son of a bitch over and you take the first song on side two. This was the first song I heard on from, on the Mama Mama Metal Shop. And the reason I bought this album, along for In For The Kill, uh, when it first came out, if No Stranger For Love was the only one I heard, I would have not got this album when it was new. This is my favorite track on the album. I think it's a smoking tune. I think it should have been the video. Probably wouldn't have fucking done much anyway. But it definitely would have created a little more of a buzz than uh, No Stranger Love, because No Stranger Love came and went quick. This one might have lasted a month, you know, it, it, on, on rotation on MTV, because that's another thing I didn't talk about. No Stranger to Love was only played on Heavy Metal Mania when it first came out, which was a show that was shown one time a month. Uh, Dee Snyder was the host, and I actually have that video where at the end of the video, and this is the first time, this is, again, getting off topic, but it's pretty... Uh, interesting. The first time I saw No Stranger to Love, when this when the video played out, Dee Snyder came out and said, "That's Black Sabbath's new song, No Stranger to Love." And now some sad news: uh, lead singer of Thin Lizzy passed away. And I was like, "Whoa!" You know, that's how I found out Phil Lynott passed away. I still have that videotape. And then they wow. play, and then right after that, they played a brand new video from Gary Moore, which was Out in the Fields with uh, Phil Lynott, you know, and, it was wow. like, and that video was premiered after Phil died. Uh, well, at least on American MTV. I don't know how it was in Europe, but uh, yeah. And um, I love Danger Zone, my favorite track on the album. And I love Glenn's. I think Glenn sings better on this song than, than uh, Seven Star. I love the power of his voice on this. This is a great, great song and a great, and, and to me it shows that Tony Iommi can do something other than Black Sabbath that I, not Wadley, can accept. Yeah. Yeah, you got that right. Because I'd rather hear fucking Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone than this fucking shit. See, there you go. That, that, that to me, proves you're a fucking moron. Uh, Kenny Loggins. Yeah. Really, do you mean that? 
that Kenny Loggins song is better than this? They're about what what? I don't know. I I, I think I think Kenny Loggins is better structured than this. This this, this wow. This, this just sounds Holy like a mackerel. This this sounds like Spinal Tap to me, but like not being a joke. I mean, it's so like, I, I it's so far removed from from Black Sabbath and that quality of metal. I mean, this is really like some cheesy fucking shit, but not even fun cheese, just like expired cheese. But the weird thing is, I love the solo albums that Glenn Hughes did with Tony Iommi later. That, that the oh yeah, sessions. no no I no fused. I, I like more oh, than this. Yeah. Yeah, Fused, and, and, I fucking love. Oh, see, I think there it, it works perfect. And everything, it, it just feels natural. This is another one of those songs that just feels so forced. And it feels like middle-aged guys pretending to be something they're not. It just, it doesn't feel natural. It feels forced. Everything about this song and like In For The Kill and Turn To Stone and No Stranger To Love. All those songs just sound forced. It doesn't sound like it just came naturally. It's like they're just confused and they're trying to do something to to make the fucking house note. And and it just doesn't sound like a, a band to me, which, I mean, it, it's really not. But, you know, it just it's apparent to my ears that these are just some guys playing. This isn't, you know, four guys that understand each other, that know when the other guy is going to come in. You know, or worked hard on this song. It's like, hey, let's bang this shit out. That sounds like these other assholes who sold ten records, and it just does nothing for me, man. Nothing for me. But then, then the album starts to pick up a little bit to me. We get to Heart Like a Wheel, which this one, this, this goes back and forth. This could be my number two or my number three favorite song on it. And this is where a total departure, very bluesy, uh, very, you know, Gary Moore would be a great example. Uh, you know, what Gary Moore was doing at, at this time of, of what this sounds like. But this one sounds like Tony gets it, fucking Glenn gets it, and fucking Cheater Chris and, uh, and Beast Boy, uh, you know, they don't do anything to muck it up. You, you know, it just... It's a good bluesy song. I really, really do like Heart Like a Wheel. Like I said, goes back and forth on my two or three, but definitely a standout track to me on this album. Yeah, it's a very bluesy tune. I would think uh, Glenn's best vocal performance on this album would be this one, as well as Tony's solo. It's just amazing. Both are shining on this track. You know, um, and uh, though back then it didn't do much for me, again, because I was too possessed by metal, uh, it took quite a few years to accept a song uh, like this off an album that was songs like In For The Kill and Danger Zone. Um, and, uh, but you know, this closed-minded bonehead uh, tradition does still live with the, with the whippersnappers today because, you know, if it ain't brutal, it sucks, you know, and that's kind of like how it was today. So that kind of philosophy of young people still lives today. I mean, you just want nothing but heavy, heavy, heavy. And like I said, if, it's not a Gary Moore album, you know, and Gary, uh, so, but now looking back on it, oh my God, it's, it is definitely a shining track on the album. Definitely up there for me, even though it's not as heavy as, you know, Danger Zone, my favorite, and for the kill, well, I guess... In for the Kill, Danger Zone, and Heart Like a Wheel are my favorite tracks off this album. 
I I'm love surprised. It. I'm surprised you don't give more love to the title track. Uh, which I like. I told you, I, I love this song way more than you, and I love that song. But I don't know. Uh, it would be just. It would be like a hair under those three songs. It would be like my fourth favorite. But I, I do love this. I'm sorry. I love Turn the Song, but you know that one's kind of low, and No Figure Love yeah. is kind of low. You know, yeah. I put Seven Star way above that, but you know, Heart Like a Wheel is definitely a great song, and it was uh, on the set list live. They did play this live because it is on that bonus disc with Ray Gillen singing it. So yeah, I need, I need to listen to that all the way through. I listened to a little bit, and uh, you know I, I saw your review today too, and you kind of hit it on the head. Um, you know something felt a little rushed about how they did the remasters for you know the the lesser years, if you want to call them that, because uh, th they could have cleaned that up a lot better than they did. I I actually have some bootlegs that sound better than what came with the, the special edition. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've always had that show. I think that show was in Texas. I could be wrong. But that show with uh, Ray Gillen, I've always had. And, yeah, it doesn't no, it's sound from, too good. It's from uh, Hammersmith in, in London. Oh, okay. It, it, it's just, it doesn't sound good. It's kind of, yeah. yeah, it sounds... And you well, know I me, mean, I don't really it, tell too much about production. But right. I well, I mean, it, it, it's listenable. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it's not listenable, like, but it's not CD quality, you know. For right, you know, right. let me put it this way: it's it doesn't des it doesn't deserve to sound that way in a deluxe edition thing, you know. Right. Just right. like but the it, demos on on Eternal Idols sound no different than the demos I've had for years. The regular demos, I was expecting when I bought Eternal Idols that shit was going to be spit polished, you know. Right. It sounds just as like you know bad as the bootleg version, which is not terrible, but it does have a hissy sound to it. Right, no, and and the same here. I've had that Ray Gillen's demos for years myself, and uh, yeah, it just they didn't they didn't show as much love to these, you know, as they, as they did the Ozzy years, you know, and uh, and even the first two Dio ones, you know, and of course a huge letdown is, you know, people wanted an honest remastering of uh, of uh, Born Again, and you didn't get that either, so. Yeah, yeah, with the, uh, and and no, correct me if I'm wrong, but they didn't add the demos on there, did they? Did they? Uh, I know, uh, I know the one unreleased on the Fallen's on there. But yeah, the Fallen's on there. Uh, those yeah. demos sound great too. I have like a bootleg yeah. of those demos. But yeah, I got, I got them too. I do own, no. I do own the deluxe edition. I don't recall the demos being on there. No, no, the, the deluxe edition for Born Again. Uh, is just the falling, and then there's the extended version of uh, Stonehenge, Stonehenge yeah, yeah. which I actually like that. I hate the edited one on the album, but with it stretched out, it actually made more sense. And then the rest is uh, is a live concert. It's it's the it's the Reading Festival, which that's been bootlegged for years as well. Which is which is really a shame because those demos actually sound good. Uh, right. I oh mean, yeah. Considering, I mean, it sounds better than the Eternal Idol but demos. Supposedly, what happened with the Born Again? Now, whether this is true or not, uh, that they just didn't have uh, the original masters for Born Again. Like they just got thrown away, or yeah. they did deteriorated to the point, like nobody bothered to keep them, like they kept the uh, uh, the Aussie ones. Because I mean, I mean, as you know. Uh, when they did the Ozzy Years box set, when they went to the original analog tape, nothing sounds better than those Ozzy remasters. I mean, those were just... You you want to talk about a true 
you know, making it sound the way, you know, God intended it to sound. Tony Iommi actually said it on that metal show. Uh, they asked him about the Born Again, and he and he said, uh, you know, that he would he would have loved to like fix the sound of that album, but they didn't have the masters. So, right. So they couldn't like pretty much the deluxe version is like it doesn't sound uh, maybe the volumes raise a little bit, but it doesn't sound no different than the original CD I bought or the vinyl, right. which but again it, sounds fine to me. I would still I, I no I I agree I don't have the issues with Born Again that a lot of people do. But I still, I got to think with today's technology that they could have, they could have done more than what they did. But they knew, like, look, of course I bought it. You bought it. But people aren't buying the Born Again remaster like they're buying Paranoid. Of course. You know? So, you know, you know it, it's like, you know, they, they didn't, and they, they didn't even spend as much money on the Dio shit as they did the Ozzy stuff, you know. So it's all about money. It's unfortunate for the, you know, the true hardcore fans, you know. I mean, look at all the people that want the rest of the Tony Martin, the IRS years remastered. And I'm sure it'll happen at some point, but I got a good feeling that'll be half assed as well, you know. I, I don't even think those albums, well, then again, I, I don't have an issue with production on anything. And I think, you know, they sound fine as they are. Yeah, the Tony Martin stuff, you know, they, they were produced pretty well, I guess. And I mean, to my yeah. ears, I don't know. Well, well, I I don't think the production's good, but you know, you know what I mean. It's more modern than 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 what the other ones were. I mean, there's only so much you can do with it, but still, there's a, there there is a like a cult following that wants those, you know, the Tony Martin era stuff now. You know, you and me were fans at the time, so we, you know, I have them. I never lost them. Yeah, you know, I, I have them all in IRS. I still have that. Uh, uh, I got the the VHS, the cross purposes. Yeah, you lot. said you said you were gonna give that to me. Yeah, I am gonna give that to all you. Good. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it to uh, Nashville. All right, cool. I want that. Yeah, I, I gives it to you. Yeah. It's not. It's not that good. <laughs> you know, I have I have a Burns DVD of uh, the the yeah. show, but. I would like yeah. to, you know, I'm a Black Sabbath you know, collector, you know, and I never, I do remember seeing that in stores, but at the time, oh, I was like, I, I, did, little, I, I um, did the same thing, dude. I, 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 I put it off, I put it off, I put it off, and then it got to a point where, like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to see this anymore, so I grabbed it, I watched it, I was like, ugh, I'll never watch this again, and at least I know it's going to a good home, I know you'll appreciate it. Yeah, you know, yeah, so. yeah definitely, and I do appreciate that album, you know, I love that album. Uh, cross-purposes album. I think it's a great album. Uh, but, um, all right, the next song is Angry Heart. Uh, it was played live also, which is surprising to me because I always looked at this as kind of like a... You know, I never really hated this song back then. It was like, eh, it's, it's an okay tune, but it, it reeks of filler without hating it. Now I listen to it, and it's just fucking amazing. I love this song. I love the guitar during the the, the, the verses, the little... You know the volume knob that you know gives it that cool build up and i really i just dig it i mean i think this is a really cool uh underrated track definitely off the album uh but you know i again at the time back then no stranger love heart like a wheel and angry heart and even the next one i was like i didn't give a fuck about but now i i really do appreciate it so i i dig angry heart what do you think 
Uh, Angry Heart is the one I said, you know, I go back and forth between this one and Heart Like a Wheel is what's my two and what's my three. Seven, Seven Star will always be my favorite, but I love these two. And this one, um, I think is another one where Jeff Nichols helps on this song and doesn't hurt because I think he gives it like a real, like a, a, a deep purple, uh, Joe Lynn Turner era rainbow feel to it. Uh... I, I, I really dig it. It do, it does remind me like I mean it doesn't sound like Street of Dreams, but you know what I mean. It has that kind of you know like you know John Lord kind of fucking uh, you know or whoever the fuck Richie had in Rainbow you know organ feel to it, and I think it fits Glenn's voice perfect, you know. And that's what I love about you know this one uh, Heart Like Wheel Seven Star. I feel like everything gels where the rest of it's forced. I think this came out fucking perfect. Still sounds nothing like Sabbath, but I don't mind it because it works. Whatever it is, it works and it doesn't feel forced. And it, uh, does, and have, and it does have that vibe of the later stuff he did with Fuse, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, and like I said, uh, the Delp Sessions and Fused, uh, man, I, I love those records. Can't recommend them enough. And, but, but those records, what I love about it, is it makes no attempt at any point to sound like Sabbath. Yeah. It, it, it just sounds like, uh, you know, Tony... I mean, you can tell it's Tony Iommi, but it's not, you know, typical Sabbath. And Glenn Hughes sounds natural. It just sounds like they're not pretending to be anything. It's just got a great natural flow. Definitely recommend those to anybody uh, who hasn't heard those albums. Really check them out. But, you know, I got to say, man, I mean, I feel... What you just said about that, I feel the same way about this album. I don't feel they're trying to be Black Sabbath on this album, except for Seven Star. Yeah. Right, but, well, well, I mean, like, the other songs that I'm saying feel forced, I don't think those sound like Sabbath either. It just feels like it's like some old geezers trying to sound like some current, you know, metalheads. And they're that, just, that, they're, I, that I will agree with you with. I mean, you, you, you like know, In For The Kill and Danger Zone is definitely a attempt to to be up to the standards of what was going on with modern metal bands. Right, and, and like I said, to me, it just sounds forced. It doesn't right. sound natural. And to me, the, the, most importantly to me, the songwriting just isn't there. Right. You, you, you know, you know. but I, I, I mean, I know you like it, and hey, that's cool, you know, but... Uh, yeah, no, 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 that's cool that you don't like it. I'm not, I'm just saying, yeah. I, I have that, I kind of look at this album it, like, like you look at, like what you just explained. I, I look at this album the same way you look at... Uh, fuse in the depth sessions. I I, right. I I get the same kind of mentality listening. When I put this album on, I don't think, oh, let me put on this Black Sabbath album. Right. Because you know, it's a Black you know, Sabbath to me. The, the funny thing is, you mentioned earlier uh, in the review that you still throw this on a couple times a year. And even though like I slam some of these other songs, I still play this album probably about four or five times a year. Matter of fact, I was on Discogs the other night looking to see what it costs to get it on vinyl because it like you said it by no means is a go-to record but every once in a while I'm like ah let me hear that you know and I'll sit through the songs that I don't really like to hear the ones that I do like but uh what I don't like is the one that ends this fucking thing unfortunately there's only three songs that I like on this but the three songs that I like I really like and some of the ones I talked about earlier that I don't like I don't hate hate them but I, I don't like like them either. But th this I would put up with no stranger to love. And uh, 
you know, danger zone is, is one that I really just don't like. And I know it's about his dad, and I'm going to come off like the fucking Grinch, like, you know, when I bitched about Randy playing the song about his mother. I know this is about Tony's father, but I just think it's a shit song and a limp way to end the album. This does nothing, nothing for me at all. And, and if anything, I think it takes away from how good Angry Heart is because there's like no... I mean, it just leads right into it. There's no pause. It just goes bam right into In Memory. And it, it just seems so fucking awkward. And like, what? what? Hey, what, uh, what's this shit? You know? And it's, it's like two minutes and 35 seconds. And yeah, I, I get it. His dad died. That's unfortunate. You know, I just, I wish he wrote a better song about his dad. It does nothing for me. What do you think? I like it. I mean, I don't love it, but I like it. I, it doesn't bother me at all. And uh, I didn't know it was about his father until I bought Doom Let Loose. Uh, and even back then, you know, when I, I wasn't really into Heart Like a Wheel and, and uh, No Stranger to Love, uh, I wasn't really into this one either, but I could accept it more than Heart Like a Wheel and No Stranger Love. But now in retrospect, I prefer the low song. Yeah, I guess, you know, now that, that, you know, that we reviewed this full album, I don't think I disliked any song off it. And I think about it. I mean, every song that we talked about, uh-huh. I, I ended up liking. So uh, I would have to say, yeah, in memory, will probably be down there with No Stranger Love as my least favorite. I don't think they're... Those two songs are as good as the rest of the album. But uh, there you go. And uh, I just want to touch upon, you know, a little, another thing I read on Doom Let Loose about the live album the, from the bonus disc was when uh, they went on tour, uh, Glenn Hughes, I believe, only played five shows on this tour. Yes. And uh, he got punched in the face by a roadie. Yes. Who uh, fucked up his nose and his eye socket. He he broke it. He broke his orbital bone, which you know the bone that goes around your your eye socket, and then that's what caused like you know he got blood in his throat yeah. and he, you know anytime you fuck up something around you know like the eye socket and the nose that fucks with the sinus cavities and affects the way you sing. Yeah. So yeah, it it fucked him up bad. It fucked him up really bad. And he still did a few shows after that, but he was struggling, and they got right. Ray Gillen. And right. they had him on standby where Glenn Hughes had no idea. Glenn right. Hughes was kind of like, hey, who is that guy? Not knowing that was his replacement. Yeah. Now, and Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, supposedly at this time, Glenn Hughes, you know, was at the height of his coke addiction. And he was being a real cunt because he was mad that he's singing for Black Sabbath. Because, you know, he, he claims he was like, this is I'm I'm just singing for Tony Iommi, you know. Why am I being called the lead singer of uh, Black Sabbath? And almost like he had an attitude, like he was above that, right? You know, and it's like I remember, uh, you, you know, it's weird hearing people's attitudes. I I saw an interview with Ray Gillen, where you know when he was singing for Sabbath, when it was announced like he was the new permanent singer, and uh, they they asked him, you know, like ah, you know, how, how do you compare yourself to uh, you know, to Ian Gillen, you know, and Dio and Ozzy and all that shit. He goes, well, he goes, well, God, you know, uh, you know, he goes, I'd be flattered if somebody compared me to Dio, but God, please don't compare me to Ozzy. I'd never want to hear I sing like Ozzy. You know, it's like, bitch, 
don't give a fuck how good you are. You, you know, and you know, I rag Ozzy a lot too, but Ozzy is fucking Ozzy, and Ozzy does have, you know, a distinct voice, you know, and I, I, I think that's what works best with Tony Iommi's guitar, is is a distinct gruff voice, much more than than a, a perfect voice like a Ray Gillen or a Tony Martin. They are great singers, and Glenn Hughes, but I think what brings out the best in his dirty guitar is a dirty voice. Yeah, well, First. Ray Gillen, I met Ray Gillen, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm going to tell an interesting story um, about Ray Gillen. Uh, he was a, he, he, um, a very nice guy. I love his vocals. But in reality, the guy killed a bunch of chicks with AIDS. Okay? Right. And I'm not going to mention this girl's name, even though we both know her. And I'll tell you this off the air, which I don't know. If, I don't know if I've already told you this story. But when I met Ray Gillen, I was with this girl. You are, you know the girl. And okay. she was trying to bang him. And he goes, she goes, and he was kind of like, and she's, believe me, she's not a bad looking girl. And yeah. uh, he goes, there was one point where she goes to him, you know, she's hitting on him hard, and then she goes to him. I love the way you say mama, you know, because he says mama a lot in those right. Badland songs. And I remember, like, he, he, like, and she's hugging on him. And the one thing I remember that night was him hugging her back, looking at one of his road crew guys going, hey, she loves the way I say mama. And then later on in the night when we met him again at the end, she's like, Ray, and then he just looks at her and he goes, that voice, I love that voice you have, you know? Because she has this little kind of, like, like, kind of like a, a chipmunk voice, you know? Right. And, uh, but he ended up not fucking her. And think about it. She was there trying to fuck him. She would have died. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, ch it's, chances are. Yeah, now, now that's what I heard is he, he had AIDS and he knew he had AIDS. And, and still went on and fucked a lot of chicks. Yes, and you know, you know who told me that too? Eric Singer. At the oh, yeah. Kiss Convention 95, uh, I had my Badland CD because I had everybody sign it during the Voodoo Highway Tour because that's right. when I met Ray Gillen, not during the first album. So oh, okay. I, I needed him to sign the first CD, which I have them all signed. Actually, Ray Gillen signed it twice, which is weird. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. But anyway, when I signed it, I said, Ray Gillen, man, what a great singer. And he's like, he told me, he goes, Ray, Sing Ray, Ray Gillen was a phenomenal singer, but a total piece of shit. For because um, I don't I, I could be wrong that he said this or not I know he did confirm that he gave gave girls AIDS and killed them but I believe he also mentioned one of those girls was his friend I, uh, I think I think I could be what, wrong. What, what, what was Ray's friend or was Eric's no, friend? No, was Eric's friend. Oh yeah, well you can understand why he's pissed, but yeah, it's a shitty thing if you know you got it and and you know and and you know that that right. was a, a reason why. The first Badlands or the two Badlands wasn't available forever because yes, the, I those, did, I those did. family members of those girls were suing Atlantic Records. Right, because I know uh, Rock Candy Records. Somehow, well, I don't know how the fuck they ended up releasing it. I guess everything was resolved. I don't know. Well, uh, no, I, I think Rock Candy uh, did re-release uh, the first two. And then I believe it was taken off the market shortly after. Like they made they made them pull it oh, okay. because because there there is the issues from the families that were suing, I believe Atlantic. Yeah. But I I 
I, I, I'm sorry. I, I feel horrible for, you know, that. But I still don't see how you can sue, you know, the record company. They had nothing uh, to do with it. Now, if you want to sue the estate of Ray Gillen, which probably is worth a pot to piss in, but I don't think they should be able to sue Atlantic. It's not Atlantic's fault. Well, know? the thing is that what you and I both don't understand are loopholes in law books that lawyers look at. It's all lawyer shit. You know, it is the family right. members that want, you know, some kind right. of cons. Uh, I was about to say constipation. <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough of this shit. Boy, boy, am I an idiot. Uh, but, uh, you know, and lawyers were like, hey, you know what? Uh, we did get go for Atlantic. You know, they own, they yeah. own. They own Ray Gillen, so let's get, you know. Right. And then Atlantic was like, all right, you want our money? Okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. We're going to fucking discontinue Badlands, so we're not going to make a penny off it, and you can't make a penny off us. That's what right. I figured happened. I don't know. But uh, I, I do, I do want to say one thing, because we got off topic of what I was saying about Ray Gillen. How he got in Black Sabbath was he was uh, friends with uh, Dave Spitz. And right. uh, Dave Spitz introduced him to Tony Iommi. And... From an MTV news report that I have on video that I put in my review, which I totally JJ Jackson, yeah, with JJ Jackson talking about it, which I totally forgot about. They auditioned him in the tour bus on the way to New Hampshire, and I guess when they got to New Hampshire, they probably told Glenn Hughes, "All right, take a walk," and he played yeah. that show. And, and also, uh, he had previously sang for Rondinelli, Bobby Rondinelli. Yes, so. which which an album I still don't have, and. He's on the Blue Murder demos, which I do own, and they sound like really bad. I thought Ray Gillen had a wonderful voice. I really love his voice. I really love... If you want to listen to how good and talented Ray Gillen was, punch up on YouTube In a Dream by Badlands, uh, where it's basically just him and, and an acoustic guitar, and he was just so good. And what's very shocking about that song was I remember uh, when American Idol first came out. Uh, <clears throat> some, right. Some singer sang that song on American Idol. Yes, he did. Which yes, was great. I remember and that. He sang it really good, but he was still no Ray Gillen. Ray Gillen was amazing, an amazing singer. And I was fortunate enough to see Badlands three times. Two headline shows and one time with Ingve Malmsteen and Lita Ford, maybe? Uh, I don't know. I got these songs. Oh, no, no, no. I saw Badlands with Tesla, Great White, and Badlands. That's when I saw Badlands open. But the other two times I saw him headline, and on the Voodoo Highway tour, they played Speed Kick from uh, Deep Purple, and their drummer was the singer of Racer X. Nice. So there you go. So that is our review of uh, of that. Awesome. That there in the Yes. Uh, this album was released January 28th, 1986. It made it to number 78 on the U.S. charts. And uh, that's about all you can say about that. All right, you got a pick of the week? Yes, I do, and it's related to this. Oh, man, um, that was my pick of the week. All right, I'll pick something else. Uh, but uh, this is one, uh, I, you know, I think is vastly superior to uh, to the album we just talked about. Uh, it, it's called The 96 Depth Sessions, and it's credited to Iomi, but with Glenn Hughes. And this is something that was recorded in, uh, it wasn't released till 2004, but it was recorded in 1996, and it was Tony Iommi, Glenn Hughes, Don Airy on keyboards, Jeff Nichols on keyboards, and uh, Dave Holland, a you know, former Judas Priest at that time. That is true. Uh, on, on drums. Yep. But then uh, what happened was 
Iomi scrapped it. They started making plans for Sabbath to get back together, even though it wouldn't, you know, fully take hold till like the next year. Uh, you know, he just shoved it because he was putting all his eggs in the in the Black Sabbath basket. Uh, but it was widely bootlegged, and then eventually, you know, was was released in 2004. But they had all the drum tracks re-recorded by a drummer named Jimmy Copley. That is true. Uh, because he didn't want any association with Dave Holland for, you, you know... Uh, no, no, I, I really can't. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know, most of you probably do know, Dave Holland went to jail for allegedly molesting a uh, special needs child that he was given drum lessons to. A kid in a wheelchair. Yeah, who I believe... Uh, I mean, I don't know how to say this, like, politically correct, but the kid was retarded and in a wheelchair, but you know, a functional retard. And I, I don't know, I'm not trying to be funny or a dick here. I, I don't know this, the, the, the correct term on how you're supposed to say this. When I was growing up, retarded. Uh, Down syndrome. But, yeah, but you know what I mean? It wasn't like, and, and I don't know if this kid had full-blown Down syndrome, but maybe mildly retarded. Yeah, but we, I don't, we really don't know. That's very sketchy yeah, there. Yeah, but I, I, do, I, I do understand, yes, he had uh, mental deficiencies. Yes, and, and, and was wheelchair-bound, yes. uh, you know, so he probably, you know, didn't teach the kid a lot of double bass, but, uh, you know, he did teach him a few things he wasn't supposed to, and that ain't fucking cool, you know, uh, so yeah, they uh, they raced away his drum track and had this guy Jimmy Copley play it, but, oh my God, gone from another world, I'll tell you what, as soon as we get done doing this review, I'm going to listen to this album, because I haven't heard it in years. But I love it. I love it. They did another album a few years later called Fused, which is very good as well. Uh, but, man, I really love uh, 96 Depth Sessions. Uh, not a bad track on there to me. Uh, you might know it. There was a bootleg. It was called the 8th Star yeah. originally. Yeah. was the bootleg that was around forever, and I still have that. But here's, here's uh, you know, one where they took a bootleg and really cleaned it up and made it sound damn good. Uh, but yeah, great album. That is my pick of the week. Was that going to be your pick? Well, no, actually, it was going to be okay. Fuse. <laughs> okay, cool. So there you so go. There you go. Uh, Fuse is an uh, I, I would say is equal to the Depth Sessions. I don't think one's better than the other. I think they're both right. exceptionally uh, well done albums, and uh, definitely look into that. Especially if you saw we were reviewing this album, saying, "Oh man, I like Seven Star. Let me hear this review." Then, but I, I'm not aware of those other two. Definitely, yeah, and you know there are people like that because you know right. those are two very under the radar albums. Oh yeah, but uh, but I, I think we both agree on that. Both of those yes, are better. They're, they're, than Seven Star. And, and I love Seven Star, and I'm telling you, both of them are better. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I I don't know if they're still in print or not, but I'm pretty sure you could probably get them because uh, they're on Sanctuary. Both of them were released on Sanctuary, and I think they went out of. Uh, business, but I'm sure you could probably get it pretty reasonable on Amazon yeah, or Discogs yeah, or whatever. Okay. I definitely highly recommend it. As far as I know, it's only on CD. Right, right. All right, man. But, so, uh, who's fan of the week? All right, fan of the week this week is a man who's. I, I think he's going to challenge Big Bushy for for the biggest fucking beard. And this is Robert Earl Irwin or Earl Wine. I'm not sure which way to pronounce that, but
but uh, a good Midwest metalhead. I think he's from uh, Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, n uh, new to the Facebook page, well, at least new that I've noticed. I've seen him post a lot over the last month. Uh, and he also left a really nice comment about uh, about the podcast. And he said that uh, he listens to the show not so much for what we say about the album, because he says everybody has their own opinions, but he particularly loves hearing us talk about, you, you know, reflecting on stories. About, I saw you know, that comment. Yeah, yes. yeah. It was when, for our last episode, right? Yeah, talking about, you know, you know when we grew up and, yeah. you know, what we were into at the time. And, uh, and 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 that that's a great point, and and I've heard that more than once, and it is uh, uh, I I can totally see that because there's a lot of people that don't always agree with us, but they still like to hear about, you know, especially you, Ralph. You can tell so many stories about, you know, tours you saw that I didn't get to yeah, see. Yeah, I, I believe he mentioned that as well, especially yeah. Ralph because he was around longer. Right, but he said me, and then he said like me and him are closer in age, so we kind of have the same outlook on some other stuff. But uh, I, I thought it was a real nice post, yeah, and yeah. I like, I like and I, well. and I also like seeing that he is adding stuff to the page as well. And man, that's always what what I look for. I, who, who's that new guy? Who's that new guy that's blowing up the page, but like in a cool way? And uh, Robert Earlwine or Earlwine, uh, you are our fan of the week, brother. Keep it up, man. Right on, Robert. Yeah, I saw that comment and I really enjoyed it. I was like, yeah, that, there's a. Uh... Yeah, I like hearing comments about the podcast that I haven't heard before. And right. That, that was a good one, yeah. I, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, great family. Good, good going there, Ian. Now let's go to the plug. Earpeeler, the podcasting and interview news site. To keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear, go to earpeeler.com to find out what we're all about. You haven't listened to Mars Attacks podcast? What are you waiting for, man? Host Victor M. Ruiz brings you all types of hard rock and metal-based podcasts. You'll find everything from music-based episodes, interviews, to series such as ultra-sexy classic album series, where some of your favorite musicians, producers, journalists, and show hosts comments on the albums that push the evolutionary chains of hard rock and metal. Get with it and go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out more. Listen to The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Go to all the W's. Gully, G-U-L-L-Y-A-N-D-J-O-A dot U-K. 8 p.m. U-K time, 3 p.m. Eastern. The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Listen to it. Don't be a cunt. All right, Kiss Army. Since 2007, you've been getting podcast. The Kiss Audio fanzine for your ears. That's right. It's your podcast. Every month... Podkiss crew, along with the Kiss Room, brings you Kiss Talk like no one else, whether it be roundtables, interviews with the band past and present, analysis, and great Kiss fun. Hi, this is Ace Frehley, and you're listening to Podkiss. Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Podkiss. The Podkiss, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears. Hey everybody, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And we're from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And if you love this... Then you'll love us. That's right. Brand new episode every single Monday. You can find us on iTunes and at decibelgeek.com. And the best thing is, it's rock and roll and it's always free. 
Music's most diverse podcast, starring Luke Innes, Greg Sims Bootlegs, and Mr. T from Germany. New episodes released every Saturday on Podbean, Podcast Addict, and iTunes. The True Alternative Podcast. Have you developed paralysis from trying to choose a movie on Netflix? Of course you have. There's too much garbage on Netflix to sift through. So join us on our podcast, We Watched It For You. We watch a bad movie every week and try to determine its watchability. We Watched It For You is for bad movie fans, B-movie fans, underground film fans, and cult movie fanatics alike. Don't miss an episode of We Watched It For You, a guide to the lesser-known movies of Netflix, available on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. All right, well, if you like this episode, and I know you really did, (laughs) join us next week where our guest is, yes, the Bumblebee Kirsten himself, Michael Sweet, will review along with us his favorite mentors album you asked for it Ooh! <laughs> i can't wait to hear how he would fix the production on this yes next week on the rock and metal combat podcast